The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We're going to talk about if the Brewers can rein in their emotions for the next two weeks. We're going to also talk about where the 53-man roster sits for the Green Bay Packers right now. We're also going to do Chuck's Corner on doing things alone. Um, a little interesting take on a few things and some recommendations as well um, from the weekend. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Uh, we have a good podcast today. Um, make sure to follow along on social media. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on TikTok as well as Instagram. TikTok has been great for coming in here from there. Welcome. Hope you guys enjoy the show. If you are coming in from there, we do, we're on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate it. Um, also, make sure you're telling your friends. Share it along. I think we do something a little differently than the rest of Wisconsin, but that's just me. And probably a little bit of my arrogance, but that's okay. Um, so we will get into the Milwaukee Brewers and our emotional baseball team. Having emotions for a professional sports team when a team is emotional, it's a good thing and it is a bad thing. Um, it's good when everything is rolling, right? When everything's rolling, the vibes are high, everybody is basically just putting every little piece of effort in there because they want to perform and that they are riding the wave of the emotions and that they basically know that how they're playing deck dictate sort of their personality and their play on the field. It's bad when things are going wrong because basically they are in their fields, if you will, and they're not necessarily playing at full strength and that they're playing at a, a level that is not where they need to be and that they can't be distracted about what's going on around them. The Milwaukee Brewers are way too emotional as a baseball team, as a professional sports team, honestly. And while it's okay to show emotions, while it's okay to cry, I fucking cried twice watching the Bear um, on Saturday, which will be part of the weekend recommendations. Like, so I'm not, I'm not saying don't be emotional, but when you're a baseball team that's collectively very emotional and that you ride on good and bad and you ride that wave, you have a lot of problems, and you really need a manager who can control emotions. Now, let's start with the first part, and then we'll talk about Craig Council. The Milwaukee Brewers are as emotional of a team as I can remember. I think there have been some Packer teams that have been very emotional. I think pretty honest, there were some Bucks teams that also kind of rode the vibes, if you will. But if you look at the Milwaukee Brewers season, they've been so up and down. And you cannot point to emotions, Right. They have long winning streaks. They, you know, have good stretches. They were they were 33 and 21 through the first third of the year. The second third of the year, they were 25 and 29. Now the Milwaukee Brewers have a chance in this last period to maybe make a push and be the division leader and maybe at worst the sixth wild card. But the Milwaukee Brewers are going to need to rein in those emotions. They're going to need to figure that out. And you can't tell me that a team who wins 7-9 and then goes back and immediately loses 5-6 is not based off emotions. And oh yeah, they lost that 5-6 to a pathetic Pirates team and a pathetic Reds team after they lost their closer. And the management did not qualify the fact that this is a very emotional ball club. And I think that that is a major miscalculation. And that, to me, comes from management. That comes from the guy, the coaching staff. 
the coaching staff not being up front with the front office and telling them, look, these guys are wearing everything on their sleeve and trading a guy like Josh Hader will not be good for this clubhouse. Maybe Craig Council said that. You don't know, right? I had a whole thing about Hader on TikTok that probably our most viral TikTok of date. And I was like, if Hader was mad about what the Brewers were doing in the front office, he should have said something. And they're like, well, how do you know he didn't say that? You're right. I, I don't know, right? Craig Council could be saying like, hey, look, these guys are way too emotional to be pulling the ripcord here. But I don't think Craig Council's doing that. Because the way that Craig Council manages does not seem like a manager that is qualifying emotions. Craig Council is not an emotional guy, right? Craig Council is stone-faced. Craig Council as a grinder. Like, that's not who Craig Council is. Craig Council is not an emotional manager, right? We seem to get thrown out of a game maybe once every month, if, if that. But other than that, like, Craig Council is not, you know, that, that guy. And so because of that, it's hard sometimes for people who are not very emotional to understand others, you know, in that time, in that sense. Like, that's just human elements, right? And so I think Craig Council's having a real difficulty reining in those emotions and working with these guys on sort of how they feel. And you can say, all right, we're going to put feelings aside, but it's clear the Brewers can't. The Brewers have not proven yet this year that they, that they get into these funks and then they just can't pull themselves out of it. Good baseball teams can pull themselves out of it, right? I don't know if that's the Brewers. And maybe that was the Brewers without Josh, with Josh Hader too. But the more that it looks and the more that you piece the puzzles together, as everything does, the Milwaukee Brewers were trying to save Josh Hader at the end of the All-Star, after the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, the Milwaukee Brewers were trying to send a message to the, to the front office that says, look, we want to play with the guys we have on this roster. We went 7-2. and two. We truly believe in all of these guys right here. And yeah, Josh was still struggling, but we're going to try to pick him up with our offense and everything else. Or we're going to try to make it so Josh isn't pitching. And that you keep Josh, you keep Omar and Arise, you keep Colton Long, two other guys that were rumored to be potentially on the move per Bob Nightingale. And I know Bob Nightingale has not been the source of all, all things good, but like you have to at least acknowledge that. And three weeks prior to the deadline, the Milwaukee Brewers were in a similar funk. We were coming to you uh, basically a month ago, I think three weeks ago, saying, like, what do the Brewers have to do to regain the fans' trust? Because they had just lost 4-6, or six to, or they, lost, they were 4-6 and six against the fucking Pirates, the Cubs, and the Pirates. Like, it was terrible, right? And then they go out in Minnesota, they split that series, and then the Giants, it's a complete disaster. So this has been yet another Monday where we're talking about the negative vibes of the Milwaukee Brewers. And this has kind of been the theme now for a while. But And David Stearns, not being an emotional GM, looked at that and said, well, maybe you guys just aren't that good. And why do I, why should I believe how you're performing against teams who are have bad pitching staffs like the Rockies, the Red Sox, uh, Twins, who's, who were mentioned before. Like, why should I believe in that? Like, why should I believe in you guys? And they took that as, well, fuck you then. And that's kind of how I think this is going. And did I miscalculate it when we talked about the hater trade? 
A little bit. I, I said that on Friday too, but like I felt that the Brewers had to make the move because it was just it was time. But the Brewers, again, you sometimes can't qualify emotions. And you can't quantify what your emotions might be. And the fact is, is that the Brewer front office didn't. They ignored them. They just said fuck it. They they did not they did not see a a group of individuals that were very that wore everything on their sleeve. And that to me is could be the downfall of this Brewer team. Now you look at the next two weeks and you say, all right, this is the season. It really is. Like, I, I hate to be dramatic. I hate to be hate hate to kind of put it up front like that. But to me, it seems like the next two weeks are going to decide your season. And maybe it won't. Maybe maybe that's not the case. But you're 54 games left, and you have a two-week stretch that is against top teams where you can either make an impact and flourish and go up to the top, or you could completely fall apart, and that's it. And you have to climb, and maybe you get a Craig Timber. As we know, the Brewers have been very good in September. And that will be the saving grace, potentially. But it's a long road ahead. The Milwaukee Brewers next two weeks start with the Tampa Bay Rays tomorrow night. Play the Rays for two. The Rays have been decent. Good, not great. Um, They are not necessarily having an awesome second half. They're still hanging out as an AL wildcard team. But I'd also argue the AL is significantly worse than the NL. I mean, look at the Yankees. They got swept by the Cardinals. The Yankees... Have not really been playing great baseball. But I look at that and I say that to me is the difference of the NL and the AL. Like the A, the Yankees look like juggernauts, but then they go to St. Louis and they can't compete. That's it stands out to me, in my opinion. So the Rays are hanging out there. Then you, speaking of the Cardinals, you have the Cardinals this weekend. That's a massive series for the Milwaukee Brewers. That, that is so important. You're now two games back of the Cardinals because they're hot. They have to go to Colorado for, a, I think, a three-game road trip. And so, yeah, in, in their offense and, they, and against the Rockies, I mean, the Cardinals could certainly flourish. And there'll be a lot of fans there, obviously, because, you know, Denver is a transplant city and have, and I'm sure there are a ton of Cardinals fans there. And and so you'll have, you'll have a lot of sort of home field advantage there before heading back home to play the Brewers. And they, and they're a team that, and they've always been this way, that if they smell blood in the water, they're going to attack. And the Cardinals certainly smell blood in the water with the Brewers, especially if, let's say, they only win one game against the Rays. And so that means that they've won, what, six of their, or they've lost six of their last eight. Like, they're going to attack. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you come home, and you have to play the Dodgers for four games. And the Dodgers are 27-5 and since July 1st. Dodgers are playing such good baseball right now. The Dodgers just swept the Padres. The Padres are now 15 and a half games back. The Padres are, you know, the Dodgers are the Padres' daddy. Like, simply put, like, shout out to Pedro Martinez. Like, that to me is what what we're seeing in the NL West. Just pure dominance from the Dodgers who look like the best team in baseball. Or we're heading for a collision course of the Dodgers and Mets. And that could really be, to me, the world's... I don't want to go that far. Because I think Houston's really good. Um, I think if you're doing a power rankings, 
right now it's probably Dodgers, Mets, and Astros, but it, it's close between those three teams. To me, those are the three teams at the top, the elite tier. I think the Yankees, the Braves, I'm trying to think who else would fall in that second tier. I think Yankees, Braves for sure. Um, I don't. I wouldn't put the Cardinals there yet. They don't have the pitching. Maybe it's just Yankees, Braves in that second tier. A little impromptu power rankings here. And then I would put pretty much everybody else in that third tier and maybe the Brewers, honestly, in the fourth tier with the Rays and maybe the Mariners. And I don't even know if I'd put the Phillies in that fourth tier. I mean, the Phillies are playing good, but I think they're getting fat kind of on playing the Nationals. Like, that's the advantage that the NL East has right now is they get to play the Nationals. The Nationals are a complete rock. But you could just go back to me and be like, Charlie, the Brewers had a chance to go six games against the Pirates and Reds and they lost a bunch of ground. And now they go into their most important important few weeks of the season. Like this should have been the warm-up. They should have got themselves ready, got themselves prepared, except the Brewers played with a lack of focus and two defensive plays played a large role in the Brewers losing on Sunday with Hunter Renfro misplaying a ball in the outfield, a supposed gold, gold glover, and Mike Brousseau, who's not a third baseman. And it's kind of hilarious that Mike Brousseau keeps getting chances at third base when Keston Hira, who had another home run, who has 10 home runs on the fucking year, is still in Craig Council's doghouse. Someone tell me how that makes any fucking sense. I'd love to know that because it, it really is sort of mind-numbing, if you will, because Brousseau doesn't deserve the amount of time that he gets out there. He's a good player, but he's just shit defensively. He is similar to Keston here in that regard. So anyways, that's a, that's a tangent. But back to the Dodgers. So you have to have four against the Dodgers after three against the Cardinals and two against the Rice. That, those are at home. Then after that, you go to Chicago for three, but that has not been easy. The Cubs have played you really tough. The Cubs, I think, see it as a rivalry. They see it as, you know, a way to play spoiler. And the Brewers haven't responded well to that. And after three against the Cubs, guess what? It's back out to play that Dodger team who has won 27 of the last 32 games. So you have eight games, or seven games, excuse me, against the Dodgers. You have to weather that storm. You have to at least win three of those games. Now, if you win more, that's great. House money at that point. Three and four against the Dodgers, you take any fucking day of the week. I know that sounds sort of loserish, but you do. Keep your head above water. And you don't necessarily get swept. And so, and then you have the Cubs again um, coming home that following weekend. So you basically have two straight weeks of the Dodgers and Cubs. How do you respond? How do you react? A part of me worries, if we go back to the emotions part of this, is the Brewers could come out against the Cardinals and Dodgers and turn it the fuck on and look great in those games, and then they could get swept by the Cubs because they just take their foot off the gas pedal. And that's another problem with the emotions is you get up for teams you should and you don't necessarily play at your full potential against teams you shouldn't. The season kind of wears on you. All-star break, they look fresh, they look perky. They sweep the Colorado Rockies. They get sort of that vibe going. They beat the Twins up twice. Then they beat the Red, like... They were playing really, really fucking good baseball for a little bit there. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just sort of starts coming undone. And that's been sort of the story of the Brewers in this 
second period of three. So what will this period bring? I'll say this is about as lacking of confidence as I've had in this baseball team in a very long time. Um, you know, 2019, the Brewers were really solid, and then Yelich got hurt. So you were like, okay. 2020, it was sort of a joke of the year, but that team sucked. It's probably a little bit of this team, but this team, to me, it's not just Josh Hader. This team needs a major shakeup. This team is not where where you want it to be. And I think we'll talk about that more as the week goes on. We'll sort of see you know, how this all develops this week. But this Brewer team is in need of a spark. And they need to sort of start pulling it all together. And it might be a little too late. It might not be the team that we all thought it was. And it's hilarious to me the Brewers were, I think, a top five team in power rankings to start the year. Because I don't know if they ever really were that. I guess to start the year they were. I mean, 33 and 21. But then teams kind of started to figure out who they were. And hasn't really worked out well. So we'll see what happens. This week is massive. Um, and I'll also say this. This last thing is I end and did not hit the post there. The Brewers need to kind of keep their head above water for people to care casually. Because the Brewers struggle in these next two weeks. No one's going to care. You're basically a week away, two weeks away from Badger season. You're three weeks away from the Packers. Everybody will quit. Everybody will just be like, fuck it. Fuck this team. I'm going to go on to football season. I'm going to worry about my fantasy football drafts. And I'm not going to care about what these Brewers are doing day in, day out. That's basically the mentality that the Brewers are going to have to battle with if they cannot sort of turn it around. It's up to them. And we'll see if they they follow through and actually look like a playoff baseball team. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers had family night over the weekend. Uh, they had the game on Friday, which is unusual a little bit because I've always thought it's a Saturday thing. I guess the reason they did Friday is because they have two Friday preseason games, so it kind of lines up for them. They take on the San Francisco Giants on Friday. Um, the 53-man roster... Starting to take shape, starting to see where the 53-man roster may end up for the Green Bay Packers. And it does seem like Green Bay will have some roster spots available because guys will go on the pup list, which means they're out for the first six weeks. I think you're going to see Elton Jenkins there for sure, um, no question about it. I think Kylan Hill also, another guy who probably will be on the pup list. And then you'll maybe have Robert Tunyon. I think that's the one that is probably a little bit uncertain at the time. If they feel like Tunyon can play in the first couple weeks, I think you'd rather have Robert Tunyon, you know, in that offense that's, you know, newly developed and that new look, you'd want Tunyon there. So if Tunyon's like, I might not be ready week one, but I'll, I think I'll be ready by the Buccaneers, then you keep Tunyon on 53. So that's sort of where, where we stand with that. So the competitions and where, you know, fighting for roster spots is not is some of it's well defined, right? We know the quarterbacks, we know Rodgers and Love, we know honestly the defensive line, uh, which I think is really solid at this point. But things like edge rusher, wide receiver, even safety is kind of you know up for grabs at this point, and there are sort of things that still need to be f- figured out. The Packers are going to have an internal debate on whether they ca- keep six or seven wide receivers. I know this sounds crazy. As a team who loses Devontae Adams, you're like, are you kidding me? They really 
do you really have a potential to keep seven receivers? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, Danny Davis has done enough to be a good practice squad guy, but it's really, do you want to get rid of Samari Torre or Juwan Winfrey? Because I think both have potential to be pretty good. Torre has done really well, you know, in training camp so far. He had a nice family night. Like, the question is, is Torre going to do enough to warrant him to be kept on that 53-man roster? I don't think Green Bay can risk putting him on waivers and hoping to get him on the practice squad, right? I think another team would go and snatch him. I really do. Because I, I think he's done enough. Now, we'll see what he does in actual against competition. But I think that that's going to be a big sort of thing to watch coming into the San Francisco game or the preseason games after. You know, between Torre and Winfrey, who shines? Who sort of comes up? Does some, one of those guys make a big play? And if they do, you know, what does that mean sort of going forward? How how do the Packers sort of handle having seven receivers? Or do they say, let's stick with six and we'll sort of figure it out on the way. We'll keep a Danny Davis on the practice squad or we'll keep a Juwan, Juwan Winfrey on the practice squad. I think that's the real battle right now. Um, I don't see, I saw a couple people thinking that Daphne, Dominique Daphne and tight end won't make the team. I don't believe that for a second. I think Dominique Daphne is actually a pretty vital player. I think he is basically a poor man's Mercedes Lewis, right? He's a blocking tight end, but he's a guy who can make some red zone touches for Aaron Rodgers. He also is pretty good on special teams. Like I don't really see why they wouldn't keep Dominique Daphne. Um, I know Josiah DeGuerra probably is your starter with Lewis um, week one. Uh, maybe Tyler Davis. I don't know. I think De- Degura and Davis will battle for that, you know, who gets to start in place of Tunyon. But I do think that you keep Daphne. I, I don't see a reason why you only have three tight ends. They use them interchangeably. Matt LaFleur, I think, might have kept five last year. So I don't think he's going to all of a sudden revert back and be like, we're only keeping three. Defensively, it's that rusher position, I think, is really sort of interesting, right? Randy Ramsey... I think showed some potential, showed some flashes a couple of years ago. Now he had an ankle injury that pretty much sidelined him the entire year. And then you had Jonathan Garvin, who, play, again, had some moments last year. But it, it seems like, from all the insider's perspective, that Garvin sort of lost some footing. That King, Kingsley Ikebar has made, has made some inroads. That you're seeing some edge rushers come through that aren't necessarily the guys that maybe people previously thought. And that that's interesting to me. Like that that's interesting to me that they're basically looking at this and saying, okay, there is potential here that they might not necessarily keep Garvin or Ramsey, who are two kind of kind of holds on the package, right? Two guys that I thought were, you know, not necessarily locks, but that really sort of had you know, moments here for the Packers. Like, Tipa Gala is a guy who might actually make the team. Ladarius Hamilton might make the team because, you know, Ramsey is struggling. And I and Ramsey can't really stay healthy. Like, he was added to the injured list Friday night. Like, that's not good. And we'll see. Maybe maybe it's overreacting uh, from, you know, Paul Breedle, who, did, who, I, who I'm using as a resource. But Garvin is an interesting one. I think Garvin's a guy who... Could be that surprise cut, if you will. I, I, When I say surprise, I should say it's quotations. Like, I don't think it would be that big of a deal if Jonathan Garvin got cut. But I do think they would be somewhat of a surprise 
just given how much Garvin played last year. As for the safety slash cornerback position, Rico Gafford's going to make this team. And Rico Gafford is a transformed cornerback, and he's played really well, right? I think Kishon Nixon, who just came off the uh, physically unable to perform list, I think you're going to see Kishon because he's a Basaccia guy, just like Dallin Levitt on the safety side of things. Like Levitt's going to make the team because he's a Basaccia guy. And I think Basaccia has his dudes sort of in place to, you know, roll with the special teams. And I think you're going to see that with both Nixon and Levitt. Like, I don't think those guys are missing the team. Like, they're there for a reason, and they're there to support Basaccia. Smart Gene Charles, I think, is another special team guy that could, you know, make sort of that difference. And also, you know, maybe he fills in sort of for Chandon Sullivan, if you will. Like right now, the Packers don't necessarily need a fourth corner. They have the three with Alexander Douglas and Soaks. That is as good of a big three as it's going to get. But if one of those guys gets hurt, you still are all right. Like if Alexander goes down, who's been injury prone in the past, you're still okay with Stokes and Douglas. We saw it all last season, right? But you need that third guy. So whether that is, or that fourth guy, essentially. So who who steps in that role? Is it Nixon? Is it Gene Charles? I don't know. Um, but I think both could potentially fill that role rather nicely. Gene Charles is more of a slot guy. That helps out. Green Bay doesn't have a ton of those right now on their roster. And then safeties, yeah, Levitt for sure. I think there's some question around Vernon Scott, but Savage went down with that injury and Scott filled right in. So... Scott apparently is that dude as sort of the backup safety at this point. And I think you've seen Sean Davis a lot. Um, his name keeps kind of getting brought up. So it looks like Sean Davis will be there. I, I think it's going to be a really tough hill to climb for Tyree Carpenter, who I kind of liked as a flyer in the seventh round. But I don't, I mean, maybe that's a practice squad guy. To me, that's more of a realistic practice squad guy than, say, a Winfrey or a Torre. Turi might, I might be overvaluing Turi, which we do. Like, this is one of those things that I think fans do a lot with 53-man roster stuff is look at it and say, oh, like someone would pick him up. Like I just said a minute ago. And then we realize they're like, ah, we're paying a lot more attention to these guys than even the scouts. And the scouts don't think it's worth a risk to add this guy as like your sixth or seventh wide receiver. It'd be a situation maybe where a team's at five wide receivers and they look at what Torrey's done and they're like, oh, I'll pick this guy up. But I think Torrey and Winfrey, not to go back to that, but it's really probably going to be decided on, you know, how they play in the preseason games. And same with, you know, the guys on defense. As for the special teams, the long snapper thing is kind of nerve wracking, right? It doesn't feel like either of those guys have really sort of stood out. Now, maybe as time goes on, as Passaccio works with these dudes, Maybe they they get to a point where they really know what they're doing from a long... One of them, at least, knows what he's doing from a long-standing perspective. Could the Packers make a move and bring another one in? Sure. But I think if you're going to do that, you have to do it this week. You cannot necessarily fuck around with this and say, okay, we're going to not necessarily... We're going to just sort of still try to patch this this work together, right? It's like almost having something wrong with your house and you're like, you keep putting Band-Aids over it. It feels like with the long snapper position, that's what the Packers have been doing for a few years now. And it's not been great. It hasn't really worked out for them. So hopefully 
is something that can be fixed because I, I do think it's maybe one of those things you worry about to start the year. So we'll see what happens this week. Again, practice, game week. We'll check out preseason and have a recap for you probably on Monday. We're not not going to go like, oh, instant reaction, shit like that. Like, I know that's kind of how people are doing it with podcasts, but I think that's a little bit obsessive. Like, it's training camp, guys. Unless the Brewers are so do something so terrible on Friday that I have to go on Saturday. Um, that would be really the only situation there. All right, moving on to Chuck's Corner. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Chuck's Corner, time where I just kind of chill out. We just hang out. It's like we're talking as friends. And I want to talk about solo activities. Because on Saturday, uh, I was out with Murph and Mitch, the boys, and had dinner, uh, watched Brewer game, and Murph went home. Mitch and I were going to hang out, and it was kind of like, what do you do? We're at a bar, we're drinking, and Mitch is like, you know what? I got a cheap Uber, I'm going to head home. And it was kind of my fault, uh, hand up, because I scared Mitch. Mitch got fucked with an Uber probably about five weeks ago. Uh, Summerfest, he kind of ignored the fact that Summerfest was going on. And he got absolutely dummied with the cost. And I was like to Mitch, I was like, well, you know, you got the Brewer game, you got to stay fair. Like, you got to, you know, be careful of those things. And he saw this Uber and he jumped at it. Now, could the correlation have been that we had too much food at Pete's Pub? Yeah, that, that could have played a factor. Like, that that's also a good lesson in life. Like, hey, usually a one-third burger is enough meat. Like, you don't need to double that. Like, a double, like, that's fucking, you know, over a half a pound of, of ground beef. That's a lot. And I was certainly feeling it. And, you know, that at that point, you just, you go to vodka the rest of the way. You just go vodka, soda. You don't put any more beer in your system because you're like, you're, you're at capacity. You need to kind of, those bubbles help sort of digest that big ass burger. And so for Mitch, it was like, yeah, I'm out of here. So and I'm like, it's Saturday night. It's a, yeah, I wouldn't say beautiful night. It's kind of sticky night, hot night in the city. But I'm looking at it, and we talked about summer weekends a few weeks ago on, on this program, and I was like, I don't want to kind of lose this weekend. I don't want to walk home. Like I, It's 11 o'clock, so I go to Nomad for a drink. I sit down. I text my guy, Shea Ken, uh, and I'm like, and I, who I was working at, one of our favorite spots, Sophie. Uh, and I was like, hey, like I'm alone like Mitch ducked out, you know, could I, could I come hang? Like, would it, you know, are you, are you able to like hang? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, come through. He's like, say no more. So head out. I go there. It's loud. It's packed. Like it was awesome crowds. Um, so I was happy for my guy, but then I, I, you know, we hang out and it's great. Like I, I had a lot of fun and you know, he's working. And so I'm trying not to be too distracting. Like, I'm not trying to like talk to him too much. Like I, I'm just, and I've kind of got good at that with Shannon because I've, I've done this before. But usually I have a buddy or something like that. But if it's just me, like I know I'm not going to try to interrupt him that much. And first of all, I, re- I really think that all DJs should have sort of a guy there to take requests because people are just ridiculous. Like they, they think this is a fucking wedding. They think this is a goddamn like, hey, here's a request line. Like Kiss FM or some bullshit. And... It's not. It's like, just enjoy the music, man. So anyways, that was that. I, I was p- pumping in some requests. Like, I think I did a Young Gravy. I think I also had Return of the Mac in there. I did Shake Your Tail Feather and Shannon was like, I, I like, it was like, okay, I pushed it. It was like, but but I do think Shake Your Tail Feather plays as a DJ song. It's just, 
here nor there. Not telling Shannon how to do his job, but it's just it. But to go back, like, it isn't just to give you a weekend recap, but it's to tell you that sometimes doing things solo is all right. Like, you can have fun. You can have fun just seeing a friend. And, like, yeah, the friend was working, and so I was managing, like, getting drinks by myself. I, you know, was, you know, sort of just hanging out and vibing. That's okay. That's good. Like, you, you sometimes need to remind yourself that you can do that. Like, one of my biggest hang-ups right now, I haven't played an ounce of golf this summer. Really hate myself for it. Um, I got lessons two years ago, and I feel like, I'm, well, I'm worried that the lessons are going to just, and they and they made me uh, a pretty good golfer in 2021. And I was able to golf, I don't know, six or seven times uh, last year, maybe a little more. And I've had such a hang-up with solo golf. Because, like, A, I don't want to get paired with somebody because I'm worried that, you know, I'm not going to be good enough, right? That I'm not, I'm going to hack it around the course and it's going to be fucking brutal. And I want that person to experience that with me. Like, I just want to go out. If I'm not going out with a buddy, like, I want to, I want to be able to sort of play on my own and sort of get myself back to where I need to be, I guess. If I were to do that, like Grant Park is a place I've actually played twice. So I, I would say that's probably the course I'm the most comfortable with. And so maybe it's there. Because like I've only played a par three course this year. It's pathetic. But I've been at such a hang up on playing solo golf. And it's like, why don't I just go out there? Like I easily could have this weekend. My wife was gone for the weekend. And I think I am planning to play on my birthday. Like I, I'm taking the day off. I, I, there's nothing else I do. I maybe you'd do a podcast. I don't really want to work out on my birthday, so why not go play golf? And maybe that's what I will end up doing. We'll see if I can find you know a twosome or a foursome to play with. Um, so that's an open invite. Uh, if someone's around Friday, uh, Monday, Monday morning, and wants to play golf, or maybe I need to do the solo thing because I'd like to play. I'm now playing golf for my uh, guy Maris Wedding before the ceremony and so now I'm like okay I need to at least get out there once or twice so I sort of feel good so I remember what I need to do but yeah uh, those first couple holes will be rough but it was a good reminder that I can do this solo shit if I need to right a couple other recommendations quick um, these are ones that I, I'm sure that you you're watching but if you're not watching the bear on Hulu you gotta unbelievable show um, was really solid. Um, as mentioned, I cried at the end. Um, so definitely watch that. Enjoy that. Um, also, um, I will recommend the recommend Hustle from the Adam Sandler movie. I think most people have watched it, but if they that fell off your radar, his Netflix movie uh, where he's the basketball scout for the Sixers, it's really solid. Uh, like that a lot. I'm trying to think if I had any any beer that was new. It's not new, but I, I've really enjoyed uh, 1840s. I carried a watermelon uh, as it goes. I think it's it goes. Yeah, it's good. It was sol- a really solid summer beer. Um, so if you need something, you need to add that to your rotation, I would look at that um, as a beer for a recommendation. All right, that'll do it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we will talk more brewers. Uh, Mitch and I, I'm sure we'll get in the booth. We haven't squared up on time yet, so we'll get in. We'll talk about all things Packers, Bat Brewers, everything else you need to know. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself an awesome week, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.